Today, you might find out something new that you didn't know about Council Bluffs, the Mormon migration, and the call of the Mormon Battalion. Today, we are visiting with Carl Scott of the Historical Pioneer Research Group out of Winter Quarters, Council Bluffs, Omaha, Nebraska area. So, Carl, thank you so much for taking some time with us today. Uh, I look forward to this opportunity. I, uh, I'm chairman of the Historical Pioneer Research Group, um, far less important than the people that do the work. Um, Gail Holmes, uh, a noted historian now in his late 90s and in a veteran's home, but he spent 60 years of his life building the history of this area. When Gail started his research into the Mormon experience in this area, people in Council Bluffs, the libraries, historical references, ignored that the Mormons had ever been here. So his research over 60 years is the driving force behind the Historical Pioneer Research Group. And the story, incredible story, of the Mormons at the Missouri. Well, I'm excited to get to listen to it and to hear your perspective. For those of you who are listening in, I had the opportunity to sit in a restaurant at a table with Carl as he told the story of part of church history, and I was just fascinated. So we're in for a real treat today. Tell us just a little bit about what your folks are doing, why you say there's some incredible research going on. We know now, after 60 years of research, that the Mormons established over 90 settlements up and down the middle Missouri Valley in Iowa. In addition to the Winter's Quarters settlement in Indian Territory at that time, now Nebraska, documenting those settlements, many of which still exist as communities in Iowa, but at least as important are documenting the burial grounds of those pioneers who lost their lives here in their desire to go west with the church. So our research focuses on remembering our pioneer heritage. Your group has done some incredible work, and we are going to actually have another podcast, the exciting things that they're doing. And hopefully, I would like to encourage you all to, if you're interested in that area of church history, to get a hold of Carl. And Carl, where can they find you? On your website or where? They can find uh, the Historical Pioneer Research Group on earlylds.com. That is a site that covers the bulk of our research and includes now the BYU Winter Quarters Project. The other site that is really quite incredible is on Map and Tour, and it's called Crossroads to the West. This is literally a story with pictures and locations based on Google Earth, following the Mormons from the Mississippi to the Missouri and all of the settlements up and down the valleys, including cemeteries, a lot of individual history, both wonderful sites to find the history of this area. And that is also available on earlylds.com. And we are excited to be able to visit with Terry Lady in another segment of this to share the behind scenes of how that project was put together. Uh, but I can speak personally that that project actually helped me. I, uh, both of those efforts that your group has done I found out that one of my ancestors was in winter quarters. And so I looked it up and found out, oh, they ended up in Honey Creek. 
And I thought, well, where is that? And you folks had put it on the map. So just personally, not even thinking that I was looking for that kind of information, it really turned out to be uh, beneficial for me to be able to say, oh, hey, look, and by the way, my relative Heber C. Kimball lived across the street from Brigham Young. That's cool. They were neighbors. It is a fun project. So we'll talk about that as well at a different time. Well, Today, Denny, what, one, what's really exciting about that Crossroads project is if you wanted to go to Honey Creek, that settlement, all you have to do is push the link on our app and Google Earth Maps takes you right to the location. So people can find where their ancestors were and get directions there directly from Crossroads to the West. On a phone, yes. It'll take you right to the place. Some of these burial grounds are rather remote, I understand. So this can be helpful and keep people from being so daunted to try to find them. Well, in 175 years ago, there was a lot happening in your area. And what I'm hoping today is to help people that don't understand get a glimpse and just get a little window into what on earth were these people experiencing, where they were, and all the different moving pieces and forces and influences that were upon them. But before I ask you to share that with you, I just want to share that as we were hiking the trail, one of the most interesting things to me was when we would ask people, what do you know about the Mormon battalion? They would say, oh yeah, they were up there on the Mormon trail and they were going to Salt Lake. Yep, that's who they were. <laughs> and so I'm hoping that you can kind of help people differentiate a little bit between those two groups. I would be delighted to. And I think one of the ways to get a real picture of what was happening here, because this was an exciting place 175 years ago. Consider the national events. In June of 1846, the United States finally completed a treaty with Great Britain, establishing the 48th parallel and taking war over the Oregon Territory off the map. So that's a pretty big event. Mexico, the United States had been trying to negotiate with Mexico for what was called Upper California, which was everything from the Wasatch Front to the Pacific Ocean. Wasn't going well. So General Taylor's army had been aimed south towards, from uh, Santa Fe towards Mexico. General Kearney, Army of the West, was sent across the plains to go over the mountains into Upper California. General Winfield Scott, was to, he was the commanding general of all the armies, was to raise an army and invade Mexico from Veracruz. Now that's the national picture. In that microcosm of events, the Mormons are here at the Missouri and, the, and they were asked to raise 500 men to engage in this war with Mexico. And these 500 men were assigned to General Kearney's army, but with a very specific mission. And that mission was to break brand new trail across the Southwest to San Diego, one of the largest, longest military marches in history and one that you personally experienced. But in that context, they were part of General Kearney's army with a specific assignment. And it was happening in the beginning right here. Now, I, I can give you a little more specific events that were happening around the time the Mormon Battalion was called up. In June, when the battalion was called up, uh, the advance party of Mormons had reached the Missouri River, 
Uh, it took Brigham Young and the apostles some time to recruit 500 men. I mean, these were husbands and grown sons who were important to their families in the migration. And they and weren't very Brigham, friendly at the moment. And they weren't very friendly at the moment towards the United States government. No, they, the, the saints had been ill-treated in Missouri. They were being forced out of Nauvoo. Um, it was a difficult, challenging time. So uh, Captain Allen, assisted by Thomas L. Kane, would never have been able to raise the battalion if Brigham Young and the apostles hadn't stepped up and said, this will be eternally important to the church. He knew that it would provide some of the financial resource they needed to help move the entire church and all of its people west of the mountains. So they were ultimately successful. It, it was an interesting situation. You would think people would be sad, but no. Uh, they were sad to leave their families. Uh, but the day before, a day or two before they marched off on June 25th on their march south, they held a great big ball and had dances and music and excitement. Now, these are people who are struggling to survive you start to get a picture that they're an extraordinary group. They are a peculiar people. They're celebrating on the edge of this nation, their families being separated and going to the potential of fighting in the Mexican war. Uh, but they sent the men off with a cheer. Now, these were interesting people. At that moment, there were a place called Grand Encampment. It was nine miles long, four miles wide, thousands of pioneers, 25, 30, 40,000 head of livestock. They could not stay in one place. Um, Brigham Young and were the quorum. They, they had to figure out what are we going to do? I mean, we have to make a decision about going west now. He went to Captain Allen Brigham did and, and got permission to cross the Missouri River into Indian Territory. Now that was not a small decision, that was a large decision because the government had been negotiating with the Potawatomi tribes and the Chippewa tribes in the Iowa Territory to move them out of Iowa into Indian Territory because Iowa had petitioned for statehood in 1843. And part of the negotiation was, if you leave now and go to Indian territory, no white man will be allowed to be in your territory. We can cross it, but we can't stay. Hmm. There are 4,000 Mormons crossing the Missouri River into Indian territory. Well, they needed to do that so that in the spring they'd be ready to move west. Their first stop was Cold Spring Camp. There they held a council, a very important council, and the final decision was made in Cold Spring's camp in Indian Territory that the Saints would not be able to go west in 1846. So now everything changed. Now all of these 12,000 some people who were scattered, who were concentrated in that area and 75 to 100,000 head of livestock, they had to find places to be. 
And that's where all these communities came from, from Gallons Grove on the north to uh, Plum Hollow and Coonsville on the south. Bishop Coons was asked to take his group of people down and start Coonsville and several other settlements. Abel Gallon went north with those to establish settlements. Uh, Garden Grove had been established as they were coming across Mount Pisgah. They had plowed up. 750 acres at Garden Grove and over a thousand acres of Mount Pisgah, planting crops. You know, Brigham and the apostles knew that they were going to have to have resources, but now that those crops were planted and had been growing, they had to figure out what to do with them. So now planning an organization comes into the picture. Uh, these were disciplined, obedient, cooperative people. and They were inspired in the work they did. When they were directed to go someplace and establish a community, they did it. They gave some examples. They, uh, Reuben Allred knew how to make rope. He built a 700-foot rope walk, built rope cables out of hemp that grew wild. And I mean cables that were six inches thick and a mile long to pull the ferries across the Missouri River. Skilled carpenters built those ferries that could haul thousands of head of cattle and wagons and people across the Missouri. Jonathan Browning set up his gunsmith shop just south of Miller's Hollow. Um, people were sent to St. Louis to obtain a millstone so they could build a mill. By the way, the build, uh, parts of the mill still stand uh, in Florence, Nebraska but they had to have a mill because they were going to be harvesting all that wheat and corn and grain that was grown on those farms. It was an extraordinarily complicated situation. And yet the saints created an economy. They created uh, shelter. They created success on the very edge of the frontier. Well, Carl, how did the Indians respond to that decision? Brigham Young and the apostles and the church in general had a very positive in, uh, attitude towards the Indian population. The Potawatomi and Chippewa in Iowa, that treaty was finally finalized. And in December of 1846, Iowa became a state because the Potawatomi and the Chippewa agreed to leave. They were friendly to the saints. They told them places they could go to find lumber, to find honey, to find uh, animals, where the grass was good. Very positive relations. As you cross the river and, and they came in touch with the Oto and the Omaha tribes, again, positive, friendly relationships um, with the saints. Um, Hmm. The Mormons respected the Indians and their rights. And once the Indians understood that the Mormons respected them, that there, there seemed to be um, good relationships. You know, there were bumps. There were, but in general, very positive relationship with the Indian tribes. And when Iowa became a state in 1846 in December, Obviously, that paved the way since that whole eastern third of Iowa 
was being abandoned by the Indians, that opened all of it up for these settlements that were established by the Mormons who were coming in, preparing and building resources to be able to move west the next years. Okay, so I'm, I guess I may have my history wrong, but I thought at some point they had to go back over the Missouri River into Canesville. Was that just a choice by some or was No, no, you, you don't have your history wrong. Here's, here's the situation. Captain Allen gave them permission to be in Indian territory, but he told them, um, if somebody of higher rank than I says you can't be there, then you can't be there. Well, they got across oh. the Missouri uh, beginning in July when the river was lower. And I, this is kind of an apocryphal story, but I kind of envisioned the Indian agent that had been negotiating with the Indian tribes, telling them no white man could settle in Indian territory. Uh, that was that point of pool, a trading post about 30 miles upriver from where winter quarters was he's riding his horse down there one day and not only are there white people there there's a community with streets and cabins and 4,000 people and he got communications back to Fort Leavenworth and they got communications back to President Polk and eventually it came back and said you can't be there and well they're already there so they said you can't be there you have to be out no later than the spring of 1848 so, in fact, when the advance party left in 1847, by the time they were able to get out, the advance party come back, anybody remaining had to move back across the Missouri into what was then the state of Iowa and out of Indian Territory. Oh, wow. But it oh. had served its purpose. Can you tell us of all the things that you have studied and researched and, and has fallen out of your group's work, what are a couple of the things that just really stick out to you in this whole story of the area and at that what, time? One of the overriding things that just continues to impress me is how the vast majority of these people maintain such positive attitudes in the face of such at times overwhelming difficulty and challenges but they worked together they were they cooperated with each other um, and and it, it showed in the, in the way they were able to prepare to move families west from from 1846 to 1853 this middle Missouri Valley became an economic engine. These pioneers that established these communities built the wagons and the weapons and the ferries and, and uh, the harnesses and the wagons and, and the supplies that helped literally thousands of immigrating members of the church move to the West. Uh, and, and they knew that they, they were going to give all of this up. Now, not all of them did, but most of them did. They once again gave up their farms or businesses and moved to the West when Brigham called them to come in 1853. <laughs> their, their dedication. Now, in terms of specifics, we've, we've identified uh, using ground penetrating radar, we've identified and documented 
uh, a dozen burial grounds. Um, and we've been able to identify who's buried in those places. Uh, and that's to the, to the people who are alive now, whose ancestors were here and whose bodies were laid here, for them to know where their pioneer ancestors were buried and to be able to honor and respect them uh, is a positive outcome of the work that the Historical Pioneer Research Group is doing. Yeah, it's incredible. So let me ask you this. It sounds, uh, the other day when we were talking, you were saying that the battalion being called at that period of time, that juncture and everything that was happening was incredibly significant. Well, it, it was. Consider this. When the battalion was called, their families, they all they had with them was what they were able to bring out of Nauvoo, and that wasn't a lot. Um, final decisions about are we staying or are we going hadn't been totally made. Um, and, and to leave a family without the head of the household extraordinarily challenging but you also have to remember these women that were members of the church who sacrificed by letting their sons and husbands volunteer for the Mormon battalion were strong women they were powerful and they were disciplined but they also had the promise of Brigham Young and the quorum we will watch out for you. And they did. They did. Well, there's a couple of women, I think, that settled Thurman, Iowa, that found that spot because they lost their cow. Is that true? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There, okay. there are all kinds of stories <laughs> in, various, in family journals and things about... Uh, interesting and sometimes funny and sometimes sad experiences that individual pioneer families had. Well, um, I guess they found their cow and said, well, this is good enough. Let's stay here. Yeah. <laughs> and I've actually been to Thurman, Iowa, and it's a delightful place and wonderful people. Well, but you know, <laughs> let's just talk about the animals for a second. We, we sometimes forget this. There were twelve to 15,000 members of the church that were scattered up and down the middle of Missouri Valley and, and in winter quarters, there were over 100,000 head of livestock. Now think about that for a minute. All those livestock have to be fed. They have to be taken care of. They can't be all in one place. There were herds of livestock scattered up and down the Missouri River in the reeds and the rushes. And these pioneers harvested thousands upon thousands of tons of prairie grass to feed these animals. I mean, think of that, 100,000 ox, mules, horses, sheep, goats, ducks, chickens, pigs, all had to be taken care of. And they were, in the minds of the pioneers, those mules and those ox teams were every bit as important as the men who went on the Mormon battalion because without them, they didn't go any place. They weren't sitting around while they were waiting for the decision to be made, obviously. No, they, they had weren't. stuff to do. <laughs> yes, a lot to do. And, and the extraordinary thing, we mentioned the Indians a few minutes ago. 
the relatively few incidents where the Indians took a cow or an ox or something or a sheep, um, really quite extraordinary, the relationship that they had. Uh, we lost, a, the, the Mormons lost a few head of cattle, but boy, not many given the circumstances. This story of the Mormon Battalion starts and essentially one of the ending points is in Council Bluffs and in your area. I know this year is the 175th um, anniversary of the battalion service and March, but the story continues after they got to California and many of them did return. And so we're going to have another session where we're talking about that but briefly do you want to just share a little bit about the thought of um you know how some of these men came back and how there's probably a lot of their aunts their descendants in that area now absolutely one of the things that happened when the men joined the battalion they of course received an enlistment fee and most all of them donated that directly to the church to be helped to help build supplies necessary. The other thing they got was a land grant to 160 acres. The only place they could exercise that land grant was in the United States. Well, the United States ended at the Missouri River and Iowa was a brand new state, December of 1846. So any of those boys that wanted to exercise their land grant came back to Iowa. And many of them took up their land grant, proved up on it, and then sold it to someone and went west. Uh, some of the boys never came back. I mean, they, their journey was different. They went up to the Sutter's Mill and discovered gold and on and on. But a number of the Mormon boys came back and claimed that land grant and used the money they earned in proving that land up to finance their move to the Great Basin. And there are some interesting stories surrounding that, perhaps for another day. That, yeah, you definitely have to get in touch with the Mormon Battalion Association and all the records they've found with those land grants. Truly fascinating stuff. So um, stay tuned. Hopefully we're going to get to talk to them about that as well. But, um, and those that, are, that stayed, then they settled that area and they became part of the history of what we know today as Iowa, right? That is correct. And we have a lot of specific information on one family that actually has a copy of the purchase agreement between the Mormon battalion um, fellow and their family that purchased the property from them. Well, thank you so much, Carl. Is there anything else that comes to mind that you think these people need to know about the scenario and the, the situation that was going on there in Council Bluffs area at that time? Well, I would just say that there was a lot more excitement here than people were led to believe. And I would invite people to come and spend some time, visit the Mormon Trail Center, historic winter quarters, visit the Canesville Tabernacle, take the map and tour Crossroads to the West app and go find some of your ancestors in these little villages and towns that we've documented. I think you'll find it interesting. I would say amen to that. If you've um, 
been there or if you have any intention of making any road trips, day trips, uh, put that on your list of places to go because it is a very beautiful area. It's a sacred area, a beautiful cemetery, and um, it just gives you a lot to think about. Thank you so much, Carl. Appreciate it. Thank you.